swing and a drive. Deep to left center field. Going, going. Goodbye, baseball. This is Extra Innings. Fastball swing and a miss. Strike three. That's going to retire the side. Seattle sports goes inside the Mariners with more stories, insights, and analysis than you'll find anywhere. Drilled up the middle. Oh, what a catch by J.P. Crawford. Step in the batter's box in the top of the tent right now. As we do each off day, we take a look ahead on the Mariners' schedule to the upcoming opponent. They take on the World Series champion Atlanta Braves at T-Mobile Park this weekend for a huge three-game series. Both teams very much in the thick of the playoff chase. I think both teams have a 99% chance uh, to make the playoffs. Uh, Obviously, the Braves rolling right now. And we bring on, from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, Constitution Justin Toscano. You can follow him on Twitter at Justin C. Toscano. And I'm not going to hold it against him. He's an ASU guy. I'm a U of A guy. So we're going to let bygones be bygones here, Justin. And we're going to play nice, okay, over the next 10 minutes or so. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, it, it's real convenient that you waited to tell me that. Well, you know, after I agreed to do this podcast. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, maybe there would be a little bit of bad blood. I wanted to make sure I had locked you in before we had uh, sprung it on you that I'm uh, from Tucson, you're from Tempe. But, Justin, you cover the Braves for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. And this Braves team, following up the World Series title that they had a year ago, look to be even better this season. Not just look, but they are even better this season. I mean, when you look at this title defense that the Braves have kind of put together in the 2022 season, what has been the most impressive thing to you uh, you're seeing from them? And To me, it's uh, really the lack of holes on the roster. Now, um, you know, President of Baseball Operations, Alex Anthopoulos, has always said that it's his job to worry uh, and to be concerned and to find every little thing and to nitpick that roster. But when you look at it, it's, I mean, it's, it could be the best roster in baseball. Um, and I think that's the most impressive thing to me. Um, last year, I think the Braves, especially after they lost Ron Lacuna, patched up the outfield how they did. Uh, and it just really got hot. They had a reputation for, you know, being that team that just, got hot. Uh, People called it a fluke. People wondered if, you know, they would be back there, if they would ever do it again. Uh, And then they come back this year and you look at the roster and they're better on paper um, and they're playing better. Uh, Since June 1st, they are 63 and 24, uh, the best record in the majors. Um, They've, they've been pretty dominant. They've caught the Mets. They've made up 10 and a half games uh, in, in that stretch. Um, And as we speak, the Mets are, you know, a half game ahead, but, the Braves are very much alive in the division. And, um, yeah, it's, it's been incredible because you you hear, you know, out of New York, well, the Mets are collapsing, this, that, it's happened again. The Mets have played great baseball. The, the Braves just aren't, aren't losing very often. Um, and, you know, a handful of those 24 losses, you know, six of them are, you know, since June are to the Mets. And so, yeah, the Braves, I think what impresses me most is just how – deep they are, how talented they are, um, and how Anthopolis has really put together a roster that just does not have, you know, many, if any, major holes. Yeah, you mentioned just how deep this roster is, and and not just the depth of it, but also the ages of all these guys. They're all super young. They've only been in the bigs for a couple seasons for a lot of these guys. What has stood out to you more just – 
looking at the Braves' young talent, is it their ability to develop young players or their ability to extend them and keep this core of the team together for the for the foreseeable future? God, yeah, that's that's a tough question because I think it's I think it's all of the above, right? Because I think they've done such a great job uh, scouting, and, and you can you can really see like Michael Harris was a guy who just wasn't a heralded prospect. He was, you know, the, most of the industry had him as a pitcher going forward. He was a pitcher in high school. Um, he wanted to hit. He wanted to play center field. The Braves let him do that. They, you know, they saw him in person, believed in him, him enough. They saw his energy change when he left the mound and went to center field during a high school game. Um, you know, he excelled at the workouts, the showcase they had, you know, at Truist Park. Um, so they did a great job scout. You know, they've done great jobs scouting these guys, like a guy like Spencer Strider, who is who had Tommy John surgery in 19. Um, they saw, you know, something in him that he rebuilt his arm action. And, you know, but who, who could – it was tough to predict that he would become this. Or, you know, a guy like Vaughn Grissom, who's, who's up now. I mean, wasn't, you know, a great defender, um, wasn't the best player on his high school team. Everybody was there to see Riley Green, who now plays for the Tigers. And, you know, the Braves liked Grissom. Um, they were there to see Riley Green, too, but saw Grissom. So, I think – there's a lot of good job scouting, but then you got to develop, uh, and that's after you draft it. So you got to, you know, you got to have the drafting there, and you have to have the signability there, and be able to sign these guys. And I think they've just done such a great job developing them. Like Michael Harris only played 197 games out of high school before being called up. Vaughn Grissom played fewer than that. Spencer Strider went from low A to the majors in 2021, then starting the majors this year. And you don't do that unless you have good player development. And I think when you create, you know, a culture, and that's kind of just this cliche word that, uh, you know, an Anthopolis doesn't like it because he doesn't believe in, you know, just lay down a blueprint. But when you create an environment that's good to work in, I think you can extend guys. Like Austin Riley, you know, could he have made more waiting out at out to free agency and playing this way? Maybe having, you know, all-star Nas and perhaps an MVP to his name? Yeah, but... He wanted to be in Atlanta. His happiness was first. He knew there was a core here. You know, Matt Olson, uh, same thing. They were able to extend him. He's an Atlanta guy. Michael Harris he's an, is as an Atlanta guy as you, you get um, and wanted to be here. And for him, it was, you know, he could have another contract after this, but to extend him now and for him to be able to make that kind of money and get a start in his future right now is, is beneficial and to do it in the place. You know, his home is great. Uh, but, yeah, I think that's – that's stunning. I mean, you look at Albies, Acuna, uh, Harris, Riley, Olsen. I mean, all these guys are extended for the long term, and they've built kind of a great core and really circumvented and sidestepped the, you know, uh, the issue, you know, for front offices in baseball is how do you keep your young talent um, and how do you keep that core together? The Braves have really set themselves up for a nice future. Justin Toscano covers the Braves for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, joining us on the Emerald Queen Casino Sportsbook Hotline right now. And, Justin, you look at, at this Braves organization, where they're at, coming off a World Series title. In my mind, it kind of feels like the Braves of the of the early 90s where they were building towards 
uh, contention and sustained contention, and they were able to roll through the 90s and the early part of the 2000s with a core group of guys. You had the the Joneses, Maddox, Glavin, Smoltz. The, the, they're all household names to baseball fans all over. Does it feel like this core group of, of Braves players can maybe match or, or at least come close to what they did in the 90s? Yeah, I, I I think so. It's beginning to look that way. Um, you know, I don't know if they'll win, you know, a bunch of straight division titles like that that team, you know, the past did because that's incredible and I'm not sure that'll ever be matched. Um, but that's the main issue for front offices, right? Is like how do you keep this young talent? You can draft guy, you know, scout them, draft them, develop them. Uh, but eventually, if they're good, they're probably going to wait you out and take it, you know, go to free agency, you know, as they should, as is their right. Um, and it's just tough. Like, be, eventually, they become too expensive for teams, uh, and you can't keep all of them. Uh, we saw it end with, you know, a team like the Cubs. We've seen, you know, Dodgers pieces go elsewhere. We've, you know, they, every good team goes through it, and the Braves kind of have seemed to circumvent that. Uh, and that, that really makes it seem like, they could be kind of that that team of the decade, as uh, Mike Soroka once said they they hope to be. I mean, you have guys at premium positions, like you have you know a guy like Michael Harris, um, and now they've got William Contreras behind the plate, uh, who backs up Travis Darno. If they you know sign Dansby Swanson to an extension, uh, he'd be their shortstop for the future. They've got you know Spencer Strider, you know for the next six years, Vaughn Grissom, like. All these guys, you know, Austin Riley for the next 10, Matt Olson for the next, you know, nine. It's just, I don't know, you know, I don't know, I don't know how they've done it. And I know, I know rival fans uh, hate it, but I think they really could be really good because they've got young pitching, they've got, you know, young talent in the lineup. And, you know, the, the guys who are producing for them right now aren't 35, 36, 37 years old. And, and on, you know, huge contracts. Like, they just haven't bogged themselves down with huge contracts, which is going to give them uh, payroll flexibility in the future to add a piece, you know, and, and add guys when, when they need it. Justin, which of Atlanta's players do you find yourself marveling at the most? There's a lot to pick from, but who do you find yourself just constantly looking up their, their highlights on Twitter and on YouTube and just being like, wow, I, I can't believe I got to watch this guy every day? Yeah, um, well, let me let me give you two. I think for me, it's uh, God. It's like a virtual tie, and it'll be it'll be funny because uh, the Braves have the guys who should finish one and two um, in either order in the NL Rookie of the Year voting, and both of them are insane. Like I think you guys have Julio here, and he's as ridiculous as he is. It's like it's been so fun to watch, you know, in the in the other league, Michael Harris. Like just the way he makes so many plays look easy. Um, and the pop he has that, you know, you, you didn't know that he would show this early, but just like, just the jumps he has in center field, the incredible plays he's made, like I, he just hasn't really even made many diving catches because he hasn't needed to, to dive. I mean, just like the athleticism out there is insane. And then you look at Spencer Strider, he throws a hundred, the fastball is, you know, incredible. Um, but what he's doing, you know, for, you know, a rookie pitcher is, insane i mean as of you know before yesterday's start had the top strikeout rate um in the majors for pitchers with 100 innings so it's just i think those two it's like it's hard to pick one because those two are doing it at such a high level and i think that's so hard as a rookie you know position player 
to be hitting the way Michael Harris is and to look as good at center field as he does. Uh, and for Spencer Strider, I mean, to be 23 years old and shutting down a lot of lineups with, you know, established veterans is, is, is been incredible. I know you guys have, you know, seen some of that young talent here uh, for the Mariners. Yeah, hey, watching Julio every day, uh, no one's getting tired of that here, and it's going to be just a, a wild you know, collection of talent on the field this weekend, especially with all the young guys the Mariners have, and as we've talked about here at length, all the young guys that the Braves have. He is Justin Toscano of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Make sure you're following him on Twitter at Justin C. Toscano. Justin, really appreciate you joining me, and uh, have a great weekend here in Seattle covering this series. Yeah, thanks so much, Curtis. I really appreciate having me on. On the other side of the break, Ryan Roland Smith, Mariners analyst from Root Sports and the Mariners Radio Network. He joined Bump and Stacy earlier today to give his thoughts on this Mariners team following a head scratching series against the Chicago White Sox. We talked to him next year on Extra Innings. Don't go anywhere. This is Seattle Sports Station and the Mariners Radio Network. You're listening to Extra Innings Inside the Mariners on the home of the Mariners, Seattle Sports Station. You're probably not the only one left scratching your head after yesterday's loss to the White Sox, 9-6, to as the Mariners dropped 2-3 of three to Chicago here in the month of September, coming off of that six-game road trip where they went 6-0. and It was a very... I guess confounding, confusing series for a lot of us who cover this team and who watch this team daily. Ryan Roland Smith, he joined Bump and Stacy to shed light on the game yesterday. The Mariners dropped nine to six. What he saw from Luis Castillo on the mound, and also what he's expecting to see from this team going up against Atlanta this weekend. Oh, well, I think. Well, first of all, on the good, uh, the first couple of innings. One thing I've noticed with Luis Castillo since he's been in the Mariners uniform. He takes a little bit to get going, and it's not a bad thing. A lot of the best in the game, Verlander, um, you know, even Clayton Kershaw, for example, they don't show off their elite A stuff until the third, fourth inning. They get settled in, and they can afford to with you know 80% of what they're capable of, and then they just go to town and it's game over. You get 50, 60 pitches in, and they're just like running through you. I think with Luis Castillo, maybe this is maybe something they talked about. I don't know. Right out of the gates, he had that that movement was at the, the top of his game. The movement, everything was filthy. In the sixth inning, though, I do want to pro- – because a lot of people are like, oh, you know, he, he gave it up and this, that, and the other. Let's not forget, play should have been made the first, the first play of the inning. Should have been made. And then Elvis Andrews drops a perfect bunt down. Kind of a bit of a shocker, to be honest with you, because the way the, the infield was, was playing him. And then he was making pitches. After that, he was dead set making pitches. Abreu got that ball off the handle – that sort of, you know, took a weird turn and got through the gap. And then it just kind of chipped away. The one thing I will say about Luis Castillo when you ask me what was different, there was a little bit, I'm not going to say it's a, it's a lack of focus. I think there's a bit of frustration. There's a 2-0 pitch to Sheets who was hitting, and you could see it where he wasn't getting the same bites. He wasn't getting the same swings or the same reactions. And he was getting a little frustrated trying to overdo it. And he did that three times in that inning. And that, it's amazing what three pitches to a guy like that can do um, and, and the damage it causes. But I will say 70% of what happened in the sixth inning was just straight soft contact, play should have been made, et cetera. And I think that's where the wheels kind of fell off. But I'm not worried about it one bit. There is going to be those little lapses. Usually when your stuff's that good, you can get away with it. But I think that um, it was just that three pitches which cost him, you know, basically cost the Mariners a game. And let's not forget, too, 
they come in. I was on that plane flying back with the team on Sunday evening into Monday, early Monday morning. I was, man, I was a zombie. I woke up the next morning. You know, I had a couple of kids jumping all over me, and I was a zombie. And then I'm like, okay, I'm good. Around 11 or around noon in the day, I was like, you know what? I'm pretty good. And then I just hit a wall later on the day. I couldn't imagine what those players were going through on that first day. Then you have a night game, and then you have a day game again. So there's a little bit of carryover in this series. I think today the off day would be a big uh, welcome sight for a lot of these guys. You know, I don't mean to give this team too many excuses because I've also been critical, but Ryan, I got to be honest, that's the way I was looking at it too. I was thinking, well, gosh, they're probably so fatigued. I'm not expecting a ton of errors from this team, certainly not three in a game nearly as often. Uh, I'm not expecting Luis Castillo to to fall apart, right? So you're trying to give them the benefit of the doubt. Um, But they're also coming out with some nice rest against a really tough Braves team. I mean, uh, what's it going to be like going up against Atlanta? Yeah, well, first of all, I mean, you're talking, this is going to be a challenge. And if you want a nice preview of what they're going to be up against when it comes to October and the caliber this weekend, make sure you tune in. Because first of all, you have the Braves team, which is right behind the the Dodgers in uh, so many offensive categories. I'm talking their second in slugging, second in uh, batting, uh, excuse me, second in home runs, second in OPS. On the pitching side, you know, you're facing Max Freed on that second, on that third, uh, second day, excuse me. He's got a two five, 150 innings or something. You've also got Charlie Morton who's starting to round up, round into shape. And then you've got one of the best bullpens. It's going to be a challenge. They are well rounded with some serious uh, thump in the lineup. So I think that if you, like I said, I, th- I think if you're a Mariners player or if you're a Mariners fan, and we've been gushing over this team and how exciting this is, and yeah, they've got a 99.999% chance of getting to the playoffs, et cetera, et cetera, and all this kind of stuff. Well, once you get to October, this is what you're up against, and you're going to get a nice preview of that this weekend. Ryan Curtis um, made a great point in saying that the way the Atlanta Braves have built their organization up is how the Mariners um, are going about it and should go on about it. Um, do you see that happening? Yeah, I think so. I, I think, I mean, let's not forget, first of all, that the Braves last year was, were pieced together. And there was some different moves, and, and they took a flyer on certain guys. Now, I think the Mariners, and, and just, again, just with the Braves, I've got, you know, got a buddy who covers the team. Uh, I had a couple guys on their team on my podcast last year, and they talked about it. And going into last year, now they won the World Series, as we all know, and this is why I'm sort of going back to last year. They were not the team. They were not the guys like that, the team they are this year. They were pieced together. They really were. But the balance they had with that organization, this is what I've heard from guys who coach in that organization as well, a couple of ex-Mariner players actually, they have that combination of front office analytics with guys who feel out the game. They have a, a combination of when you're in, in high A or double A or triple A, when you're developing a player, you're teaching them how to win at baseball, not just teaching them how to get swings and misses. And so when you look at the Braves, and, and just to Curtis's point, the way the Mariners are, are building their organization, developing players, and what you see, what the end product is on the field at the big league level, I think, absolutely, I think there is some similarities there. I just, man, I'm, I you know, marvel at what they've been able to do, bringing guys in. We've seen that with the Mariners. Paul Seawold, uh, for example, um, you know, Diego Castillo, getting him, um, getting him uh, con- um, consistent, there's that element. And it's just a matter of, you know, if, if that's the same when it comes to the developmental standpoint. Because, man, it is so important when you have young players shaping them to, like I said, win at baseball, have a, have a 1-1 count, 
What's that pitch that they're going to be super confident in to get to one, two? Little things like that, which makes make a massive difference. That's what the Braves do, and that's why they're a powerhouse this year, and they will be for a long time. Plus, they have some superstars over there as well. That's absolutely right. Hey, uh, you know, you talked to, about Diego Castillo, which got me thinking about the bullpen, which in turn got me thinking uh, about American League Manager of the Year. There was this really interesting take from Ken Rosenthal, Ryan. I'm not sure if you heard it, but it was him saying, look what Brandon Hyde's been able to do over in Baltimore, even if they shouldn't make the playoffs. is pretty phenomenal going from uh, 100 losses to, to a significantly mm-hmm. better team. But it kind of feels uh, like... That's what it wasn't a hundred losses, but that that's what Scott Service did with this team last year, taking them from a really struggling young ball club to a ball club that vastly exceeded expectations with ninety wins. This year, they're even better. I mean, they may still end up with ninety wins, but they're on pace for potentially more than that. I can't see a stronger case against Service for Manager of the Year um, than yeah. uh, than I'm seeing some people making. I mean, I think that it's his. Yeah, I, I have to agree with you. Now, if you're going to sit there and say, look, and, and again, what the Orioles have done this year is crazy. No one expected that. And, what, you know, from Brandon Hines, um, Hyde's you know, standpoint, having a team like that, man, he, he's just bought himself, you know, a career as a manager. He really has. But when you go back to 2021, and just to your point, if, you, if these Orioles, and it looks like they're slipping away from the playoffs, if you're basing, like they did last year with um, – you know, with Cash winning that manager of the year and then Scott Service missing out, well, then guess what? He doesn't get it. And I'll be, I'll be kind of frustrated if the, mm-hmm. if the Orioles in this year don't get to the playoffs and he gets it because, oh, look at what he's done. Well, you know what? Scott Service did that last year in a right. situation where, again, you come to, by the way, a rebuild is not automatic. Everyone tends to think, and I hear this from people on social media, that a rebuild, you just strip away your team and then you build them up, get a bunch of prospects, and you're good to go. It's so much more involved. In that, it's so much more trust with your manager in those tough times and that character building and all those things. And if Scott, I think, look, if Scott Service didn't get it this year when when they make the playoffs, that would just be that that would be that East Coast bias. And I'm going to say that flat out because <laughs> this game was ten. This team was ten games under 500 at one point, right? And you, like I said, as a manager, you do two two things: you manage the players inside the clubhouse, and then you manage essentially the bullpen. Uh, on the field, and both on in both areas, you've got the best bullpen because they're set up to succeed. Number one, and from a player standpoint, you want to talk about character. This team, like I said, had tons of expectations. I've been on those teams with tons of expectations. You get in the hole, you never get out of it unless you have the right manager in the dugout. And so, I think those two elements should be an absolute shoe in, one hundred percent for this year. Absolutely, and especially if they make the playoffs, done deal. Just a half hour to go here on Extra Innings. Coming up next, Mariners chairman and CEO John Stanton. He stopped by Brock and Salk earlier this week to share his view of this incredible 2022 run that this Mariners team has been on and also his confidence in Julio Rodriguez after giving him that massive contract extension that goes until probably the sun burns out. When we return, we take a listen to that conversation next. This is Seattle Sports Station and the Mariners Radio Network. You're listening to Extra Innings, Inside the Mariners, on the home of the Mariners, Seattle Sports Station. Half hour to go here on Extra Innings. Really appreciate you making us part of your late night here on Seattle Sports Station. The guy pushing all the buttons in the Mariners organization. That'd be Chairman John Stanton. He stopped by Seattle Sports Station earlier this week on the debut of the newest edition of Brock and Salk. 
and had an in-studio visit with them talking about his view of everything in the organization this year, a, a monumental season uh, in the Mariners franchise history. You've got a, a playoff push here that is just 25 games away and also the massive contract extension given to the pillar of the franchise right now. I don't think that's hyperbole to say Julio Rodriguez, 21-year-old superstar Julio Rodriguez. What went into that decision to give Julio the extension and also what has it been like to watch this team roll since the month of June and put themselves in a great position to make the playoffs? Here's John Stanton with Brock and Salk to explain further. It's a long journey and we've been focused on the kind of success that the team's been having on the field for a long time. It's really come together in a very important way and we feel great. We feel great, you know, with starting pitching that we've got, you know, adding Luis to an already strong starting rotation. Uh, the bullpen's been amazing. I, I refer to that as one of Scott's uh, superpowers, uh, the way he manages the bullpen. But, it, you know, it's also a bunch of guys who have really good arms. Uh, and the offense has come around. I mean, the, the I think maybe uh, uh, leaving Louise aside, the best uh, uh, acquisition at the trade deadline was getting Mitch off of the uh, the injured list. So, you know, I feel really good about where we are. You know, it's it didn't happen overnight. You know, Jerry, Justin, their team deserves a tremendous amount of credit for uh, for what we've done. But you know, feel great about the team. John, if you've heard me say to Salk once, you've probably heard me say it a hundred times to him, just Salk, you wouldn't believe what this place was like in the mid to late 90s, in the new stadium, the early 2000s, when there were 44,000 a day, a night, it didn't matter. You starting to 37 in the building last week, sold out the Astros series a month ago, a lot more folks in the in those seats. Are you, are you starting to feel what you felt there in the late 90s early 2000s absolutely brock and i think that it's it's just exciting the way the community has responded you know i go to the grocery store and people are saying go go mariners to me i mean it's it's fun to see um it's fun that that the community is feeling that they are embraced by the team and the team is really embraced by the community. I can't tell you how much a difference it makes to our players. And, you know, if I'm, if I'm allowed to, uh, to pitch for a moment, um, we've got great attendance coming up for the, uh, for the Brave series this weekend. We've got some seats available for the uh, next two White Sox game uh, tonight at 710, tomorrow at 110. 640. Six, 640 we're tonight. Back, we're, we're back to we're the back. 640s. We're, we're you, back. Know who, you know who's keenly aware of that? Yeah. People who host <laughs> morning radio shows. I can imagine. 640. Yeah, Let's just, go. Hey, by the way, how about 540? Just, Justin was pitching me on 340 this, <laughs> uh, as I was walking in. No, it, you're, you're right. But the, the dynamic is that you know the team just really gets off on having the kind of crowd support that they've got and we've been having. And I think, Brock... You know, it is like the 95 team, 97 team, 2000, 2001 team. But, you know, people are really hungry for it. And I think that they're really excited. And and by the way, you know, most of the, the first several of those seasons were in the kingdom. And while the kingdom was great and, you know, the sound reverberated and all, there's no experience, you know, as far as I'm concerned in baseball, like the experience you get in T-Mobile Park. 
Talking to John Stanton here on the uh, new Brock and Salk show. Since you mentioned him, I guess I'll bring it up. Um, I'm kind of in love with Luis Castillo. I don't know if I've mentioned this to you yet, but I, I have a bit of a I'm, I'm a bit obsessed. I think he's awesome. I think he reminds me a lot of Pedro Martinez. Uh, the four pitches he throws, the he's, maybe doesn't have quite the resume yet of Pedro, but is he a candidate to be here long term? I, mean, I know we want to talk to you a little bit about what just happened with Julio. Do you have a sense as to whether or not Luis Castillo is a long-term member of the Mariners organization? We want to build a team that's going to win now and win over a long period of time. Uh, Luis has been a great addition to the team, particularly those first two starts against the Red Sox were unbelievable. I, I would love to see him uh, continue with the Mariners. We'll see. You know, we're, I'm not going to talk about uh, uh, the business that Jerry's trying to do with respect to any specific player. But, you know, the if you look at the pattern, they don't get a lot of, as much attention. But you know the the extension that we did with J.P. Crawford at the beginning of the season, the extension we did with uh, with Munoz during the off season, uh, obviously the commitment to sign Robbie Ray, and you know I'm sure you'll uh, you'll mention the uh, uh, the young man out in center field. Um, you know Julio is has been terrific. I, the lens that I look through is somewhat different than the lens that that the rest of the organization looks through. I, I'm looking at you know, character. I, I can't judge how guys hit or pitch. Mm. You know, I uh, I was a very good little league coach, uh, Brock, and I, <laughs> mm-hmm. I know that's one of your uh, mm-hmm. superpowers. Um, but, you know, Jerry, Scott, the analytics team will all make those kinds of judgments. I, I look to character. Uh, I look to the kinds of per- people that, that will represent this community. You, you wear a Mariner's jersey, and as far as I'm concerned, you represent – Every kid, every mom, every dad, every person in this community, and that's important to me. And I think that that character matters as a part of what we are doing. And and I should say, the, finally, sometimes you know, it the business of baseball doesn't allow you to do what you want to do. Right? There, there are certainly deals that you know we've looked at over the years that I've been involved in terms of players, and for whatever reason, we couldn't come to terms with the player and their agent. Um, the players in many cases continue to have good careers here. In some cases, they went elsewhere and had good careers, and we wish them well. But I would like to see a core group of players here for a significant period of time and to take advantage of what is still a strong farm system that we've got and bring more players up over time so that we can have a sustainable program over at least the next decade. John, was it the home run derby that cemented your desire to get Julio's deal done? Um, you know, Julio, uh, I think Jerry's talked a little bit about the timeline. You know, we were talking to Julio well before he was even selected for the home run derby. And, you know, we, uh, we certainly advocated within major league baseball for, for Julio to be one of the representatives. So, you know, Julio broke onto the national scene with the home run derby. I I think he was already a superstar here. I I think about Julio showing up on the concourse in Peoria, you know, in street clothes and handing out gift cards and and hats to to kids. The kind of connection that he makes with fans in this community is special. And that and his ability to play the game at at an extraordinarily high level is the reason that, that, you know, we, and when I say we, I think it was, it, you know, Jerry, Katie Griggs, 
Justin, our entire organization really wanted him and our entire ownership really wanted Julio to be here for a long period of time. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned character as being something that you're looking at. Obviously, Jerry's going to run the projections of his career and Justin's going to do his work as well. Um, You have to make a decision, though, I would think, on whether or not you feel comfortable giving a 21-year-old kid and hundreds of millions of dollars. I mean that 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 has to be that has to weigh into any decision you make like that. Was there a moment, or is there is there one thing about Julio that told you that he could handle that? I I think that it, it wasn't one thing about Julio. I think that it's the kind of character he is. It's the humility with which he plays. It's the reaction that his teammates have to him that you know the. I don't think it got much press. There, there were over a dozen players that showed up early on a uh, on a game day uh, to sit in the back of the room without any cameras on them to cheer Julio on at his press conference. I mean that that just doesn't happen. And I think that we sensed, you know, that that he was a part of that. And and uh, the 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 connection to his hometown and his community, uh, the the fact that he grew up. You know, as a uh, in a in a l- lower income uh, community, um, and ha- had a very strong family that that you know I, I, I uh, speak slightly out of school and say you know we talked about having his parents come up and his mother said you know I don't it's a waste of money for me to come up for a forty five minute pl- press conference and we said well we, we'd be happy to pay for it she says I don't care if it's Julio's money, if it's my money or the team's money, it's a waste of money. And that's a character builder. You know, we're all, I think, influenced by our moms. Um, And, you know, to have someone like that in your life and and a strong uh, father as well is, is, I think, a powerful indication of character. Just one segment to go here on Extra Innings. We take a look around Major League Baseball, the biggest headlines of the week in a round of pepper. I'm Curtis Rogers. You are listening to Seattle Sports Station and the Mariners Radio Network. You are listening to Extra Innings, Inside the Mariners, on the home of the Mariners, Seattle Sports Station. Wipe the sleep from your eyes. We've got one more segment left here on this late, late night edition of Extra Innings. Really appreciate you making us a part of your night commute, your night listening, wherever it is you are tuning in from. Really, really appreciate it. Big, big week in the world of baseball. Big day, though, uh, globally, as the world is mourning the passing of Queen Elizabeth II. Obviously, this is where we're going to start on a baseball show. Of course you would uh, on a day like today. But did you know that Queen Elizabeth II did attend a Major League Baseball game in her 96 years of life? It happened back in 1991. The Baltimore Orioles hosted the Queen at a game against the Oakland A's as a guest of President George H.W. Bush. Now, prior to first pitch, she was on the field chatting with the Ripkins, Cal Sr., Cal Jr., and Billy, as they were all members of the Orioles organization at the time. But she only stayed for two innings. And I mean, look, she's the Queen. She's got other more important things to do. But yeah, Queen Elizabeth II passing away today at the age of 96, obviously uh, the biggest story in the world today as she reigned for 70 years on the throne of the United Kingdom. Uh, So rest in peace to her. 
But yeah, there's a baseball connection there as the Queen did manage to make her way to a baseball game in her 96 years of life. She did not attend either of the Yankees-Red Sox games that were played in the UK a few years ago. Um, Next year, I believe the Cardinals and Cubs are scheduled to play a couple of games in, uh, in London as well. Big story in baseball, though, is going to be the rule changes that look like they are going to be on their way for the 2023 season. The biggest ones are pitch clocks, shift restrictions, and larger bases. Jesse Rogers of ESPN uh, does a good write-up of these, uh, sort of a nice outline of it. So the pitch clock would be a 15-second pitch clock with the bases empty and 20 with runners on. Two disengagements from the rubber, which include pickoff attempts per plate appearance. A requirement by hitters to be in the batter's box and alert with eight seconds to go in the on the clock. Hitters are allowed one timeout per plate appearance. Only two infielders allowed on each side of second base, with all four required to be on the dirt or inner grass. So that could have a huge impact on guys who, who pull the ball left-handed. Jesse Winker, Cal Raleigh. Uh, I would imagine batting averages will go up across the league considering that there's going to be huge restrictions on the shift. Infielders cannot position themselves on the outfield grass before the pitch is thrown, so you got to be on the dirt. And bases will increase in size from 15 square inches to 18. Now that one, that last one, the increase in size from 15 square inches to 18 square inches for the bases, that I think will increase stolen bases throughout the league. We will see the game put in motion a lot more. Because even though it is a slight increase in size of the bases, that could mean a fraction of a second. That could mean a fraction faster uh, for runners to reach the base. That could mean you see less runners thrown out on the base paths because the bases will be a little bit bigger and they'll be positioned correctly. There was a a weird study done this past offseason that second base is actually... Uh, supposed to be in a different spot than it is, but we've just kind of gone with it after all these years. Very, very bizarre stuff. Uh, They've done a lot of research on all this. I would imagine there is going to be some hand-wringing amongst baseball fans. How dare you touch the game in, in these ways? But you know what? If this increases offenses, this increases balls put in play, if this increases the game put in motion, it is going to make baseball much more watchable, a much more pleasant viewing experience because yes, there were there are games where it's a one to nothing ball game or a two to one ball game that are very exciting. We saw it here firsthand with the Mariners taking on the Yankees earlier this season. Luis Castillo and Garrett Cole combining for those shutouts. The Mariners not getting the game's first run until the thirteenth inning. But you know what? Those games are fun when it's just one or two of those. When it's every night, when it's every couple of nights, then it gets all, it gets very repetitive. I I am for these rule changes. I think they are going to make baseball a better product over the course of the long term. And, and yes, Rob Manfred has put his foot in his mouth time and time again. He has done a lot of dumb things as commissioner, but I can't fault him for exhausting all options in helping make the game go quicker, be more exciting. Uh, You know, baseball is at a point now where they need to find ways to get those younger viewers watching it. They need to find ways to get 
people who don't want to commit three hours to a game to say, hey, maybe you commit two hours to a game. Maybe you commit two and a half hours to a game. Uh, because watching baseball, as you know, can be a, a, a very tall task for somebody that, you know, is either A, not their job to do so, or B, just, you know, only has a passing interest in the game. I think these moves are going to be made for casual fans in mind as well. I commend Major League Baseball for not simply going with the status quo. History made in St. Louis today. Adam Wainwright and Yadier Molina have tied the Major League record for most combined starts together at 324. They have made 324 starts together. Uh, Just an absurd number. The only other pitcher-catcher combo to match that would be longtime Detroit Tigers teammates Bill Freehand and Mickey Lolich. Those two combined for 324 back in the day. So, boy, uh, those two have done an incredible job. We know Albert Pujols is going to retire at the end of this season in a Cardinals uniform. Uh, I believe Yadier Molina is also going to do the same. Haven't heard from Adam Wainwright on what his future might be, but those three have played so many games together uh, for so long. I, I just you marvel at their longevity you marvel at teammates that have been able to play together for as long as they have uh, we talked about it earlier with Justin Toscano those Braves teams of the 90s when you had guys that were teammates for so long Chipper and Andrew Jones Maddox Glavin and Smoltz uh, you know you look at uh, the Yankees and their quote-unquote core four back in the day uh, of Jeter of Posada of Bernie Williams, of Andy Pettit. Those were the the four guys. Uh, Mariano Rivera, too, I think. So five, core four, core five, however many you want to throw in there. It's the Yankees. I I don't know why I'm talking about them. But just to have teammates that play together that long, uh, I can't imagine, you know, just the the love affair that Cardinals fans have with those three. Uh, It makes you... You know, excited for what the future has in store for Julio Rodriguez after signing that massive contract extension. Uh, you know, knowing how beloved Edgar Martinez is here, who played his entire 18-year career in Seattle. I, I to this day, I still contend that Edgar Martinez is the most beloved athlete in Seattle sports history. Now, that's different than greatest athlete. That's different than best athlete. That's different than most important athlete. I think I would put Ken Griffey Jr. at the very top of the list. But most beloved, it's Edgar Martinez. Why? Because he played for the Mariners for the longest of anybody in that franchise's history. In fact, I believe Sue Bird is the only Seattle sports athlete to have ever played for more seasons in a Seattle uniform than Edgar Martinez. So uh, an incredible feat that Wainwright Molina have, have been able to accomplish in their careers, their story careers. They've given St. Louis a pair of World Series titles. They've gone to another World Series together back in 2013. Uh, who knows? Maybe they, they do so again here in 2022. It's a very hotly contested National League, but should be a fun one. The Mariners get a glimpse of one of those great National League teams coming up tomorrow as they take on the Atlanta Braves. A 640 start time. That's right. 640 games are back. I am so excited to see 640 start times. We saw it in the White Sox series. Uh I, I really enjoyed those. Big fan of 640 start times. That's what we get the rest of the way in the regular season and hopefully in the playoffs. Really appreciate you again making extra innings a part of your evening here on Seattle Sports Station. 
I'm Curtis Rogers. Big thanks to Justin Toscano of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, Brandon Gustafson also, for joining me. We have got a lot of fun baseball ahead of us here over this weekend and over the course of the final 25 games. Extra innings will be with you for every single Mariners off day. That's what we have to look forward to over this next month here of Major League Baseball action. Really appreciate it. As always, that's going to do it for us here on Seattle Sports Station and the Mariners Radio Network.